betting preview podcast from pregame.com. Pregame.com. Broadcasting straight from the Las Vegas Strip. Vegas, baby. With your host, R.J. Bell. I saw him on ESPN. Can I call Marco Daddy? VR seems wild. Welcome to the Sports Betting Preview Show, a pregame.com podcast. I'm your host, Marco D'Angelo, joined each and every week by my main man, Vegas Runner. It's NBA Finals. We're taping on Wednesday. We're in between game number three and game number four. We just finished game three last night. We're going to preview game four. VR, uh, first off, last night, they came back to Boston. Series tied at one. You, what, what, when you watched the game last night, any takeaways from last yeah, night? I mean, Boston had the home edge and just let it slip away. Uh, truth is, Boston did make that run late, and there was an opportunity for them to poss- win this game. But until that point, L.A. was in total control. I mean, they went into the half in control, and they more or less controlled that game. Um, I was just surprised by Boston's lack of effort. Like... You had the opportunity with home court edge. You're coming back home. You got you know all the momentum, and they look like they didn't respect this LA team, as if they don't have to do give a hundred percent effort on every play before the half. That play when Kobe missed and yet still got the rebound off of Garnett. Saved it from going out of bounds. That was the most telling play of that entire game. It showed that L.A. was there to play and is the championship caliber team. Everyone says they are. And the defending champs. And they're gonna sh- you're going to have to bring 100% every day if you're going to beat them. And truth is, if it wasn't for Kobe sitting on the bench for the fourth quarter of game two. And Ray Allen having a career defining moment in game two LA has has done what they wanted with Boston in this series well my takeaway from it and you know unfortunately for me uh, last night I had Boston um, you know I had a loss I'm not going to cry about it because it was my first loss in nine games I've, I had eight in a row in the playoffs so we're seeing things well what I took away and I even talked to you in the afternoon yesterday we, we talked right, about right. it and you know I said this game to me sets up the the toughest to handicap of the series just because of the different factors we talked about yesterday I saw just a carbon copy of game two, only in reverse. Boston had total control in game two from start to finish, and then it was the Lakers that made that late fourth quarter right, run. Right, and and got it down to a point where you just you were watching a game and you said, "Oh my, one more bucket." Yeah, and, and everything it, changes. And everything all, changes. all for nothing. Right. And, and you're absolutely right. From from game one to two, two to three, it's more or less the exact same thing happened. As if L.A. went into game two thinking not respecting Boston because game one was so easy, and then Boston went into game three seeming like they didn't respect L.A. because they were able to win one in L.A. I've got two words to say. Zig and Zach. Sure, sure, sure. That and the bottom line is L.A. 
has different players that could step up and totally beat you by themselves. Last night it was Derek Fisher, you know. I mean, Paul Gasol could do it, one of the biggest, best big men in Kobe's basketball. Kobe's had two poor shooting games exactly. in a row. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. On the flip side, with Boston, I just, as good of a game as Garnett could have, I don't think he has the capabilities to win it on his own. As good of a day as you know Rondo may have, I don't think he's capable of winning the whole game by himself. And even Pierce, I would go as far as saying. Ray Allen may have done it. But again, that was with Kobe on the bench. Right. And if they decide... if he, Phil did Jackson, do, he did do a lot of those while Kobe was still in the game. Exactly. But know. I think if Phil Jackson decides... To put Kobe on Allen, he shot him down completely. You're going to chase Kobe all the well, way around. He's not going to make them shots again. This is the point that, you know, we talked about zigzagging in, in videos before. And the whole purpose, in principle, of zig, the zigzag theory is adjustments. It's the reason yeah, yeah. that the other team, you know, the losing team comes back and wins. It's because they're the ones that pull out the tablet, and draw up the new game plan. And the referees adjust as well, we've well, seen. What we ended up seeing last night, and I'm going to give, I don't do it very often, so, and you know, I don't know how often he watches our video, so maybe he won't even know it, but I'm going to give props to RJ. He put out a prop bet in the forums yesterday. Ray Allen, under 17.5 or 18 points was the prop bet. And it was an outstanding prop sure, bet sure. to take it up because the theory of it in essence, is the zigzag. And the regression to the mean, it, you know, from what he, he, if you look at him throughout his career in the playoffs and throughout his career as a player, you know, he's going to regress back to that mean. And especially now that, if anything, you've presented a challenge to the best player in the NBA who's going to lock you down. He was definitely the difference in game two. So Phil Jackson's game plan exactly. was... Take him out of the game and, make and find else. someone else. Well, Boston didn't have the answer in the first half of that game. They fell behind. They had to find a different way to score. They made the halftime adjustments, made the fourth quarter run. So, again, it, you know, if, if he it, missed it, one more shot, he would have broke a record for the finals for missing the to, most to shots go from, for attempts. To go from a playoff best yeah, to, to, break, to playoff worst. Yeah, he tied the record. You know, I mean, that's ridiculous. So, game four. Let's get the game four. We have a few minutes. I wasn't surprised by this line, to be honest with you. With Boston losing, they're going to come out as a three-point favorite again. No surprise but, there. I don't think so. Well, it was two and a half yesterday. They're going right. to pump the half a point on. Make it's pay more the, of a must-win situation. Pay the premium for Right, it. but it is L.A., so you know they're not going to over-adjust. You can't do that against the Lakers. They're always going to get their support at the window. I was not surprised either by the, the slight adjustment in the total, especially as low scoring as yesterday was. I fell for it. I thought they were going to open it up. I thought a lot more fast break points. I supported the over, saw the move towards go down. I knew it wasn't sharp money. I knew the public was heavy on the under. Don't mean I'm going to fade them, but I thought the lack of rest would be tougher on the defensive side of the ball. We're both, you know, strong advocates of that. It's tougher to play defense right. when you, you're, you're tired. And I thought because LA only had four fast break points the game before, they would run a little more and, and force an older Boston team you know, to f possibly physically attack them. And, and that just didn't translate into the, a winning ticket. But we're seeing an adjustment down to 190. What do you think? 
Well, I think the adjustment has to be there because, it, I mean, my God, they could have played, you know, oh, another yeah, quarter. Another and quarter. Time, and yeah. it still probably wouldn't have got there. It, it, was, it was terrible. I mean, as low scoring as the game went. Uh, I do think that you will see a different game plan in game four. Boston, I believe, has to come out of their half-court game. And the difference why is they're not getting the open looks. LA's too long. That's exactly what I was going to say. If they don't run the court with Rondo, you're not going to beat LA in a half-court set. Number one, Phil Jackson... Defensively, if you give them time to set up defensively, you're going to have a lot of trouble. And you better hit your shot. You're not getting no second chance opportunity with those monsters underneath. Even with that said, they still got a long way to go to get to this total the way, you know. Yeah, it went. The the history of games in Boston, you know, Boston just doesn't score in the hundreds. Right, right. You know, I mean, all through the playoffs, they haven't done it. So, you know, you're, you know. It's I'm not, tough for them to put a number. I agree. I agree. I, I myself, Marco, you know, I, I have L.A. for the series. I, I love L.A. for the series. I, I still like L.A. for the series. I liked them when they were 1-1. One one. With that said, I'm not surprised Boston plays a grind-out style of ball. They're not out of this by any means. No. This could go seven games, you know, and Boston could have a chance to win this series. I'm not, as a, a Laker backer, to be honest with you, I'm in the driver's seat, but I'm not comfortable and no. saying Boston's out of it. Rap, we got like about 30 seconds, so I'll wrap this up. One last point on the total. Being that last night's game was 1-1, and history... Yeah, it's big, the biggest game. There's big numbers. Well, there's two... There's two Th- three and five. five. Three and five are the biggest games. If they're tied. So, right, so... That is a game that's going to be played closer to the best. So I think you will see a little bit more relaxed Laker team because you don't have that sense of urgency. And so you'd say, but now Boston has it and they're a defensive team. But Boston saw the way the Lakers defended them last night, so they have to change their game plan. So I, I think you're going to see, you will see that more open I game agree. plan on I Thursday. I totally agree. Will it better, better, better shooting percentage, right. I would expect yeah. as well. And, and let's face it, Kobe is yet to go off. He's gotten his 20 points, but 10 for 29 you, is in his right. His, his if you got if you got to shoot 30 point, you know, 30 shots to get it, you're not going to get there. Hey, this has been uh, the previews for Game Four. He's Vegas runner. I'm Marco D'Angelo. Check out all of our podcasts at iTunes. Just search for pregame.com. We'll be back with another segment. For the best deals from trusted sportsbooks, visit pregameaction.com. We're going to take a look in this segment at handicapping rookie pitchers in Major League Baseball. And no doubt we're bringing this up because uh, last night, Steven Strasburg made his major league debut. You couldn't get any more buzz on a, you know, a pitcher making his major league debut, and he lived up to all of the hype. That's for sure. Cashed the ticket as well. But Vegas runner. I mean, what we saw yesterday with the price on him. I mean, again, it's pu- it's the public perception factor in full, you know, full bore. And he did live up to the public perception. Yeah, but, but that's with, not the norm. No, and, and with that said, you just are not going to make money betting games and taking positions where the line's been influenced by public perception that much. Because let's not forget, the line for the Nationals came out at a dollar sixty-four. 
and went all the way up to 240 at one point. That's an almost an 80 cent adjustment. And that was going in knowing the the, the books and, and the odds makers knew going in they were going to get Washington money with this kid on the mound. So they already were going to put out an inflated number, meaning 164 was an inflated number, yeah. let alone 240. And as well as he did, like you said, and as much as of a phenom and a stud as he is, as a professional sports better. Those are not positions that I'm looking to take. You know, that, it is what it is. There absolutely was no value in taking him yesterday. But because of public perception, and you're a guy that you, you know the outfits, you, you, you know what they do, to me it would seem like a no-brainer that when a, a situation happens like this, it's almost like a golden egg for the Sharps because, you know, run to the book, as soon as the line opens, and grab all the 165 that you like can grab. exactly what they did, and wait for that line to roll itself up, you know. And because you know they laid 165, they laid 180, and sat back and let the public take it from there. Come back in late and grab this Pittsburgh like they did, and you created yourself, you know, a, a beautiful scalp where all you have to do is hope a dog here and there. Gets that gets there for you. You're not going to lose money. It's it. The only thing you could do is win money. You're in a, a no loss situation. Right. It's free money when it cashes, and the only way you do cash is when a dog beats a favorite. Right. And I've been doing this long enough, and I know you have as well, to know that dogs do cash. Right. So it's a great bet. Absolutely. Now, keeping with the theory of rookie pitchers and dogs. I have always been of the belief that whenever pitchers come up, I am going to look at them in 90% of the instances to back them. To back them. Okay. Now, obviously, yesterday was a different situation, and I'll explain why. But in principle, remember, baseball is the only sport that you don't have to win more than 50% to show a profit. Exactly. If you're betting dogs. And if you're betting all of the rookies, when they come up and they go those first couple starts, nobody has seen them in the majors yet. Okay, you might have seen you know in spring training a little bit, whatever. But when they get those midseason call ups, and you haven't seen them, advantage goes to the pitcher every time over the hitter. Huge, huge. It's advantage. a huge advantage. You cannot you know emphasize it enough because you know the hitters. You you don't know what's coming. You you haven't seen the guy's stuff. You haven't seen how fast his fastball exactly. is. Exactly. You haven't seen how much his curveball curves. Where his what release his point is. is. I mean, when you're throwing 90 miles an hour plus, it all comes down to timing it's a split and, second and getting the release point and, and, and you know being on that. And like you said, you haven't seen it. And, and let's tell like it is. The Strasburg situation was totally different. All the hype surrounding him was a little different. So I could see those batters, those major league hitters, wanting to study a little tape on this guy. But when you're a guy going from single A, double A, triple A, not much fanfare around you, right. not much hype, and it, you're getting called up. There's very few major league batters that are going to run to the clubhouse and try to find, dig up film on, on a guy like this. Right. If anything, 
their ego isn't going to allow it. You know what I mean? And it, it's also the reason why baseball has become such a specialized sport as far as you send a, you know, in the old days, you know, okay, I've been doing it for 30 years. So back in the day, you'd send that pitcher out. When you handed him the ball for his start, he was basically out there until his arm fell off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, now he's on a pitch count. He's on an inning count. They got middle relief already. They got the setup man ready and the closer ready for this kid's debut. And it's also a situation, when you think about it, is that if you get that guy in and out, you know, you go those six innings and then you take the, the, the setup, you know, middle, right, right. seventh, eighth, and ninth, you got your formula. It's also a point that they're only going to get through the lineup maybe the third time, you know, if you leave him in longer, they're going to, you know, everybody's going to get the three looks at him or that fourth fourth look at him. And true, also, you don't want to rock his confidence. You don't want to bring a young kid up there, have the major leaguers, you know, destroy him and ruin this kid's confidence forever. You want a couple tomato cans, you know, you want a couple innings of success. So you're not going to leave him out there. Even if he's doing well, you don't want to run the risk of having him get in trouble. You slowly, like you were saying earlier, like a boxer, you you, you know, you get him. Line up up tin cans. Exactly. And you get him ready, you know, to compete at that level. But back to the betting principle. If you take all of these rookies in the first starts, in most instances, because they're an unknown, they're going to be an underdog. Yeah, and absolutely. And if they're, if they're not an underdog, they'll be a very small one, favorite. five, one, ten. You know. Okay. All you have to do is cash 50% of these bets. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to cash more of them. I agree. But you're going to be getting a dog price in most of them. And it's a good angle. It's one of those almost no-brainers that you just, you know, you add it like a side dish at the restaurant. You know, you order your steak, you got to have a potato with it. When you see a rookie making his start, you know, he's coming up to a team. And you can also tell a little bit about the guy coming up. If it's a guy that's coming up on a team that's got, you know, a stat, you know, they've got their rotation set. There's not injuries and stuff and they're bringing a guy up. They're bringing him up cuz he's ready. Exactly. Now, if it, if there's a team that's got three starters that are hurt and the bullpen's depleted out of and, out of playoff contention, then they got to bring so it's a little bit different. Yeah. The guy maybe not be ready for prime time, but you know, early yeah, in the yeah, season, you, you these need guys. to do the little homework, and, and I always do. And I like to see what cities these guys are from. You know, like if he's a California kid and he's happened to be pitching in Anaheim in LA, you know, then you know he's going to have family there. He's going to have friends there, and you know he has a better motivation to bring his A game. And, and like you said, it's a no name guy. So, you know, you're going to get value on the, the price. The hitters haven't seen him. You're going to get value. Two situations that I like. I mean, this is a no-brainer almost across the board for me. But two situations I like even better when it's a rookie left-hander. Because left-handers just Difficult. plain and simple. Yeah. They're, you know, they're freaks. They're, they're unorthodox. Uh, you don't see as many of them. And so now when you, you don't see as many lefties to begin with, and then you see a lefty that you've never seen, it, it, it's an even bigger advantage. That's one. And two, I like the rookie starting on the road rather than at home. Less I pressure. Less pressure on him because, you know, you're on the road. You're not expected to win when you're on the road. When you're at home, it's that debut. You've got the crowd. Right, right, and right. Your, th- your thinking is 
this is the crowd that I hope I'm going to be pitching in front of for the next 10 years. And so there's just a little more of right, a, right. You know, pressure with it. But it is a great concept. I think that you, you want to add it to your arsenal. It's a no-brainer. You're going to long-term... You're going to make money. Yeah, don't stay it. away from rookie pitchers or, or, or actually not rookie pitchers, first time starters. But, I, I look more for Major League Baseball debut right. and not a guy who's already done it in 2007 right. or in 2008. Right. You know, I want a guy. This is his first time coming up to the majors. Right, and you know, and ride him for the first couple starts. Now, flip side, and we got to wrap it up. When they go through the league the second time and they start facing teams for the second time. Yeah, it gets a little then, tougher. Then the advantage switches to the other, the I other agree. way. I agree. So, hey, this has been a great how-to handicapping, how to handicap rookie pitchers in Major League Baseball. This is another in the continuing series of how-to videos. And we talked last week about flat betting versus unit betting. And we asked you guys to get into the forums and um, at YouTube, leave us some comments and some questions, and we'll carry the conversation on further. Um, great response to you know last week. I mean, let's face it. If you can give somebody all the winners in the world, if they don't know how to use it correctly, and they're betting poorly, they're not going to win. No, you're going to lose your bankroll. Even if you're a 75% winning handicapper, which I haven't met one yet, if you bet incorrectly, you're going to lose your bankroll. It's it's math. It's simple mathematics. It's a mathematical certainty. If you overbet your bankroll, even at 75% winners, which isn't attainable, you're not going to make money. In fact, you're going to lose your bankroll eventually if you do not bet you know, correctly. Now, one of our posters uh, on the forums, and again, uh, please feel free to jump in every week. Any of the topics that we talk about on the podcast, ta- jump into the thread, either at YouTube where the video is at yeah, I always house, check. or into the forums thread where we post you know, the podcast link. Jump in and give us some questions or some feedback, and we'll continue the dialogue either right in the thread or here. And um, the I, one of our forum posters, he's sharp. I've read his stuff for a it, while. He's sharp. It, he is, and the guy is super disciplined. You know, he's telling us he's been betting thirty years. So here's a guy out of my generation, um, and he plays what is you know he's saying. He's describing it as flat betting, but it's the percentage bankroll theory, which a so, lot of people use. So you're betting more when you're winning because your bankroll's increased, right? But you're betting less if when you're losing because your bankroll's decreasing. He has the, a, f- a fixed number. He has a fixed number every, for every day. For every he adjusts day. it, or does he go weekly or monthly? Well, but if, by the sounds of his post, he's adjusting it daily. They, uh, but still. Which is fine. I mean, wherever your no, adjustments are, because it is what it is. Yeah. It is an adjustment. Um, you have a set number. You know, he's betting 1.5% of his bankroll each day. That's... But as his bankroll is going up and down, you know, his plays are, you know, moving with it. That's so why he's been around and right. successful for 30 years, because he's not going to be out of play. He'll be able to sustain ne- never be losing out of streaks and be there to profit when he gets hot again. Right. And he said in there that he's played nothing but straight bets. No wow. no parlays, no teaser. Wow. And that takes huge huge discipline. But really, the sharps, you know, most sharps 
don't you know don't play there are some values i, I that's will it. yeah yeah there are that, some situations you know, especially when you get the correlated um parlays you can tilt the edge you know otherwise they're not good you know the house edge on a two-team parlay is 10 percent. Right. the house edge on on a straight bet's 4.5 so obviously you know you have to win a lot more at a higher percentage to make money doing parlays with that said what he's doing, I give props to. He's betting like the wise guys are. He's betting a very low amount, you know, percentage-wise of his bankroll, one and a half percent. I say is a beautiful. Um, uh, that's great. I mean, that's what you should be doing around that one percent. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. I know a lot of guys say they'll do three percent and five percent. I think you can get in trouble going that high um i think him sticking to one and a half percent is going to allow him to survive any any stretch that comes his way right i think too that in what he didn't mention is his volume what how many plays you're playing to true i think that if somebody like yourself where you're more of a volume capper. Yeah, that's why I, I'm under that's 1%, what, to be honest with you, know, you, of my bankroll per play, because I, I don't want to expose 20% on a given day. Yeah, if you, you know, I, I used to see some of your old days in basketball. That's what I'm saying, but, with half times but, and this and that. But if you're a guy, you know, that's that's playing one or two plays a day, it, yeah, it's that, and that's all you do every day, given, you know, Day in, day out. Then I think a higher percentage. Of yeah, absolutely. Daily. To it, maximize it, profit, of right. course. To maximize profit, I agree. Another there. question that we had, and this one was posted in YouTube, kind of, um, and I forget the user's name, so I apologize for that. But it was talking about different sports. You know, do you, you know, just you know, when you're doing that bankroll and your bankroll grows, so your bet size grows. And you go from one sport to the other. You just roll right into that. And uh, my take on that is an absolute no. To me, you've got a master bankroll, and then you've got a bankroll that starts with football. You've got a bankroll that starts with baseball, and you one for basketball. And the reason to me that they're different is if I just went through the entire football season, and I had a just an absolute kick butt season and my bankroll doubled so if my bankroll doubled that means what my unit size bet was in September when the football season started now has doubled with my bankroll doubling I don't want to go that high moving into the start of basketball because just because I had a kick butt football season, there is no guarantee no. that my basketball is going to be as successful. My, You need to build, to me, you need to build the bankroll based on performance, and each sport's got to earn its own bankroll no, size. The one thing I would be careful with is, you know, guys that are more conf- so much more confident in one sport than another. Um, I, I myself don't approach it that way because every, uh, every given year, I might do my damage in baseball next year. I might do it in football and basketball as a professional better. That's the uncertainty of it. You know, I'm looking for an edge every single day, regardless of the sport. With that said, I think if you're not going into a season confident, obviously early in the season, your confident level may be lower, may be higher. Some guys look to take advantage early. Other guys prefer to sit back and, evaluate first before they you know are confident and and that's fine whatever works for you but the bottom line is i think 
you need to be confident. If you don't think you could beat that sport, you really shouldn't be betting it. You know, I, it is, I, that's just how I look at it because then you're gambling. And if you're gambling, the book's going to end up with your money. Now, with that said, like you said, you don't want to double your bankroll in football and all of a sudden be playing double amount in basketball. You're betting a hundred a game now because it's double your bankroll, start betting 200 a game in basketball. But there's no problem, I think, betting the same amount. Okay, you doubled it in base in football. Come into basketball and bet those same $100 plays. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If anything, now you just have a bigger bankroll and could overcome a losing streak. I, I don't think if you're a new better, you need to be adjusting your unit size, uh, your, your amount per unit, excuse me, not your unit size, your amount per unit too often. Like you shouldn't be going from 100 every unit is 100 now I had a good football season, so now my unit size is going to be 200. Three weeks in, here comes college basketball. I, I did good in the beginning of the NBA. Now my unit size is going to be 300 per yeah. unit. I think that you have a tendency to get in trouble. Yeah, I think you need more consistency when it comes to unit amount as opposed to unit size. Well, that's why, you know, to the novice, the percentage bankroll dictates everything for exactly you. there the, the math is there there's there's no human element for you know judgment calls um i'll backpedal one thing moving from one sport to the other again i think if it's somebody like you that's moving a lot of plays again in this instance it just becomes action and you know that you know the moves the steam all of that stuff put together is going to give you a lot of plays and you're under the impression of the grind where you know you're going to grind. A, you I have this much of an edge, so long term that edge is right. going to leave me some profit. So just taking the bankroll and, and using the one master bankroll and just having the things grow, I can see that wholeheartedly. If you're somebody, again, that you're, uh, you know, a specialized guy where you're just one or two plays, I think... You need to see that your one or two plays, your stuff is working. In no, I sport. agree. I, I totally agree. And, and it comes down to exactly what you said. We're, there's different types of, of betters. And you, there's not going to be one way that everyone should follow. Because we don't all bet the same way. We don't all approach it the yep. same way. So I agree with you there 100%. For free real-time odds, lines, and scores, visit PregameLines.com. Welcome to This Week in Vegas, A Better's View. I'm your host, Marco D'Angelo, joined by my partner in crime, Mr. New York Yankee, Vegas runner. What's you happening? You see them hold off Strasburg for them, did you? <laughs> Put them up against the Pirates. Uh, we're taping here on Wednesday. The day after. The day after. The, Game three. The, the coming of the Messiah. The of, the, of the phenom. You know. Hey, I, he's worth the hype. I, I knew that coming in. He's definitely worth the hype. With that said, I, that was a ridiculous amount of line movement based on nothing more than perception when he went when he Chris opened about minus 164 and it went off uh, went up to like 220 240 at some places at one point yeah. nobody one player's worth that with that said they got the win but you're not going to make any money betting sports yeah. thinking you're going to cash in on, on opportunities like right. that because 
you know, as good as this kid is, and he's worth all the hype, don't get me wrong, and he's going to have a fabulous career if he stays healthy and they manage his innings correctly and don't let him blow his arm out like they yeah. Hamels did and so many others have done, then I think... Which they've got to be more careful with yeah. because this is a power pitcher, exactly. not a finesse pitcher. Exactly, exactly. You know, and the guy that I think of that, that comes to mind right away is Kerry Wood. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah look what happened to him. And he, he was, his, his first start, what did he have? Like, same thing, like four, ten. 12, 13 strikeouts. I mean, let, let's give him credit. I mean, Roger Clemens was a, a, a power pitcher that lasted a right. long time in the majors. Nolan Ryan. Yeah, I mean, yeah, How yeah. long is his career? But this that's the exception that is not the norm. No, exactly. I, this kid's the real deal. And and just the control he has at that power, he's going to be successful against any lineup. But with that said, they're still the Washington Nationals. You will be in a position where you have to depend on your bullpen and your bats as well. Baseball isn't tennis. It's not bowling. One guy can't go out there on his own and get it done every day. Absolutely. I'm going to set up a little bit of a segue for promote one of our other videos today. Um, we always do how-to videos, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to talk about handicapping baseball when these young pitchers make their debuts and where the value's at. So it's a great topic. So we'll talk more about the nuts and bolts of that in one of our other segments today. But but back to Strasburg. I mean he's he is the the, the real bust. deal, dude. In you Great know, for baseball. We, we made the joke on it. I mean, there's a reason they they made his debut. Well, first of all, definitely was going to be at home. His debut was going to be at home because... For sure, it's for the, sure. You know, it's the first you time want, this, they're going to sell a game out. That's what I'm saying. As a franchise, you want to cash in off it. You're going to sell did. merchandise. Did you see gonna, how many Strasburg shirts that's what I'm were, saying. were in the ballpark so, yesterday? Yeah, of course. So that's what was going to happen. And then you pick a team, a team that with the <laughs> lowest batting average. The least amount of runs in baseball. You know, everything was set up for him to go out there and perform. But with that said, there's so much pressure. Not everybody's going to go out there and get it done like this no. kid did. And, and it's and again, the pressure part. We're going to talk about that. And it's good. But kudos to Steven Strasburg. He's the man. He. Earned every penny of that contract based on one start. That's for sure. I mean, it's not just one start. He dominated. Have you ever seen anybody no. make the leap? You know, as now fast. the Nationals got the six, seventeen-year-old, that Bryce kid. He's going to take more time to develop at seventeen. You got to be careful. Right. I mean, we've put up so many guys get hyped up like this kid. He's still got to grow into a man. But the Nationals have are, are picking some gems, man. A couple, they're years away, but who knows? That team's going to be a franchise. You'll, you'll walk on to them. I just hope it doesn't end up being a situation like the Pittsburgh Pirates back. You know, you, again, you get kids like this and you let back them go. In the, yeah, back in the early nineties because they were, you know, they didn't have the money, uh, you know, to keep players and. And I can tell you that, you know, the farm system for the Pirates in the late 80s and early 90s, I mean, they had... Bonds and Bonilla, the, dude. Bon, the, you know, the, the killer beats. I yeah. mean, it, it, it was great being in Pittsburgh. The pitchers and, you know, that went through there? Doug Drabeck and, you know... How they many had, pitchers went through there? They had, you know, Bert, we had Burt Blylevin. Uh, dude, uh, so many studs came up in that farm system. So, it was, it, it was a good team, but they didn't have the money and... 
the Washington Nationals are in that situation right now. They've made some very good draft picks. and you It's know, exciting for baseball. Hopefully Bud Selig does the right thing because he's such a purist and he's even against stuff like this. But hopefully they, they do the right thing and build around a kid like this because it is, I think, great for baseball. I mean, you saw the following. There was more press asking for passes than ever in the history of the game. I was at the M last night because I went over because I wanted to watch the uh, – the Celtic game, and I and I also wanted to see right, Strasburg. Right. I couldn't keep my eyes off him. I'll tell you the truth. And I'm in, you know, I'm in the poker room. I I got table number four. If if you ever play cards at, at the M, you want table four because it is right at the window. They have a glass window in the sport in the right, poker right, room right. So that separates the, the and. If you get seat one or ten, and I was on seat one, you're looking right in at all the screens. So, you know, it was heaven for me. But people were mesmerized. Oh, everybody was hyped. They they had Washington. And and first of all, baseball, you know, is, you know, there's a basketball game. But they had baseball on the biggest screen in the sport. It captured everyone. Had the Washington Pittsburgh game. Everybody never was in your life exactly. will there ever be National Washington. Pirates. Is, yeah, that, that that's going to be the center of attention. And then once they took him out of the game, they put the Boston Lakers. Put the Boston course, Lakers on course, the big screen, so, which is a good series, man. Yeah. Speaking of Boston Lakers, they've given us so far. I mean, no one stepped up to make it spectacular yet. But with that said, the way it's gone, one-one now. Lakers win one in Boston. It's very intriguing, and it's keeping everybody, you know, into it. If if LA would have been three up three nothing by now, it wouldn't have been right. exciting. This thing you know? go, this is going a minimum of six. Yeah, yeah. Most, I have no know, doubt. I have no doubt. Definitely could possibly go seven. But let me tell you this much. I mean, me and you talked yesterday afternoon. Again, we're taping on Wednesday, so we're the day in between game three and four. They played game three yesterday. When I talked to you yesterday afternoon, I said, I can't believe the public is so split on yeah, this Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, every place that, you know, they, they my were. sources, they were. They were. I, I, they I were. called around. And it was. It, it was, was split. split. It was split on the game. It was split on the total. But what amazed me is I saw all the numbers. And, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of bets. And we're talking 51-49 right, right, or right. 52-48 at, at best. And at one point, I saw the over-under dead even at right. 50-50. When I was at the sports book at the end, now that's just one casino, every basket that was scored by the Lakers the place just totally erupted. Yeah, but that's that's expected because we're out here on the West Coast. It's all Laker fans. I'm sure if you were watching the game, you know, in in Philly, in New York, they'd be going nuts at, at a sports bar when Boston scored. So we're a little skewed here, I think, because of the Lakers. The books here, I'm sure, had Laker money mm-hmm. from from what I'm told. Um, but around the country, like you said, offshore. It was balanced action. Lakers had just as much support as Boston, maybe even a little more because it was more of a liability because a lot of people that bet the Lakers were going to take them on the money line, where Boston, you're going to lay the two and a half. With that said, now what? We go into game four. We've already covered that in our other podcast. I think the public, to be honest with you, is going to be split again for game four. I mean, you could give an argument for either team. It is, because, you know, game two and game three, you know, game one, the Lakers took care of business pretty yeah. much pillar to post. But game two and three, they were carbon copies where, you know, the road team 
had control the whole game. The home team made that late run in the fourth quarter and got it close. You know, so now you take the momentum. You know, did that late rally? Does that momentum carry over to this the next is a perfect game? example of the point spread is hasn't been a factor, but it's been on point. Because it's balanced out the money. As right. According to the books, they've been, the VIG's been bringing him in profit on this series. Let's give away some money before Let's do we it. go. Let's do it. We're running out of time. We're going to go with the coupon. We're into summer. Well, at least in Vegas, we're into summer. Oh, it's been well, 110 yeah, already this week. Forget about it. So it's going to be summer 10. That's going to be the coupon this week. Summer and the number 10. All one word and put number 10 behind it. Get $10 off anything you want. Just go to the shopping cart, enter that coupon. VR, if it's a $10 package. On the house. Drinks are on the house. Picks are on the house. You got it. So, hey, this has been This Week in Vegas. He's Vegas Runner. I'm Marco D'Angelo. You can follow all of our podcasts at iTunes. Just go to iTunes and search for pregame.com. Download and listen anytime you want. We'll talk to you next week. Good luck, guys.